0: If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and today we are looking at verses 14 to 17, and we are in our seventh and final uh, sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the series that we're calling Life Under the Sun, and we began this series in order to consider what the Bible has to say about navigating life in a broken, fallen world as people of faith. Uh, We set out in the series to ask how being a Christian makes any difference in living life under the sun, especially in a year such as this year that is full of chaos and confusion. And so we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes, considering various topics. And today we are looking at this very sensitive topic of mystery under the sun. And so friends, I know we just stood up, but would you stand once more? And you're standing The outward posture reflects the inward posture of worship as we read and receive God's word. Ecclesiastes 8, beginning with verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? Father in heaven, uh, this word that we read is your word, uh, not the words of man. And so give to us uh, illumination by your Holy Spirit so that your words would pierce our hearts. And in piercing our hearts, they would lead uh, to greater worship, greater awe, greater adoration for you. Uh, The God who speaks to us, who comforts his people, who challenges his people, who gets his people um, to stop listening to the world and and by your spirit is is turning our ears to listen to you. So direct us and lead us in this hour we pray and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as much as we love mystery, we like mystery movies and mystery books. Uh, We don't very much like mystery in our lives. Uh, It leaves us unsettled. We don't like things that are unexplained um, things that we can't uh, come to understand. I remember a time in college and my sophomore year of college, I lived in an off-campus apartment uh, with a Christian roommate. And one day he comes uh, berge, uh, he comes into my room and then he's frantic and he says, Andrew, Andrew. And, you know, of course I was like reading my Bible or something. And I said, you know, yes, John. And, and he said, uh, the craziest thing happens, uh, happened. And I was like, well, what happened? And he said, I was cleaning my room and I had a USB key on my, or the cap of the USB key on my desk. And I was cleaning and I knocked it behind the desk and I looked behind the desk and it's not there. And I was like, okay, well, why is that so important? And he says, well, it was there and now it's not and i said well i guess you just lost it and he's like no it has to be there and i said forget it what's the big deal and he said no this is so important well after arguing for a bit i went to class a couple hours later i come back and i op- i come back and i open the door and i hear from his room it's a lot of chanting a lot of murmuring And I go in and I peer in and he had called brothers and sisters in the Christian fellowship to come and pray for the room because he was convinced that there was a demon in his room that had hidden and stolen the cap of his USB key. And I remember looking at him and said, that's your explanation? Like You're so unsettled by the mystery of your USB cap disappearing that your conclusion, the logical conclusion is a demon must be in your room who wanted to steal the cap. Mystery, the lengths we will go to try to explain mystery. If it can be known, if it can be understood, if it can uh, be explained, we we demand that. Uh, But here's the problem in life. Life is full of mystery. Life is full of things that you can't know and understand and explain. And so things happen all the time around us, happen to us, that don't seem to have an answer to this question that we so want answered. Why is this happening? How is this happening? And when you search for and you demand that there be meaning and purpose to all the circumstances you're in and the way that your life has turned out and the things happening to you and to your family and the things happening in the nation and in the world. And when you demand that there must be a reason, you're going to be disappointed because you don't always get the answers to the questions that you ask. You know, why has my life turned out this way? Why are my kids making these choices? Why has this year become what it has? There's so much mystery under the sun. And this is what our passage is about. The book of Ecclesiastes is a part of that genre of the Bible called wisdom. And so what this preacher is speaking to you is meant to impart wisdom. And what he says is so simple, but so life-changing if you believe it. Because the preacher's answer is, The preacher's wisdom, his encouragement to you is this in regards to the mysteries under the sun. Stop trying to figure it out. Know your limitations. Accept that you're merely human. Believe that you are nothing but a creature here on earth and it is God who is in heaven. You see, when it comes to understanding the mysteries in life, you're going to be led down one of two paths. One path will lead you to bitterness and anger at God because either you won't be satisfied with the reasons why things are happening or you'll never get the reasons. And that will lead to discouragement and despair and doubt. But on the other hand, the other path will lead you to greater trust and greater worship because you'll realize it's okay if I don't understand the whys. The whys ultimately don't matter if I have the right who. So here's my question to you this morning. When life happens and life is hard and life is confusing and life is chaotic and all of life just seems so unfair. Why are these things happening? Are you looking more for the why? Or are you leaning on the who? Are you demanding a satisfactory answer from God Or are you learning to be satisfied in God? So let's turn our attention to the passage. And we begin in verse 14. And the preacher writes, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And here the preacher is putting his finger on a reality that we all experience. He's saying, You know what heaviness, vanity, frustration? It's when in life, things don't go the way that you're expecting them to go. When things in life don't go the way you plan for them to go or the way that they ought to go. And the example that the preacher is pointing out is this. Sometimes in life, the righteous, those who live and walk uprightly before God, they meet the harsh fate of the wicked. And on the other hand, the wicked who live selfishly and terribly, they meet the favorable fate of the righteous. Or, or to put it another way, he's, he's giving this example. Sometimes in life, those who we believe should be blessed end up cursed. And those who we think should be cursed end up blessed. And when we see things like this happening in life, it's maddening. It's frustrating. We use the word unfair. These things are unfair. Why do things like this happen? How do they happen? They weren't supposed to be this way. And that's the mystery under the sun. Your life, I'm sure, is full of so many examples of this at work. How come you can study so hard for a test, come so prepared, and you still fail it, while that other person didn't even know there was a test, guess all the answer and ends up with an A. How is it that you can work so diligently on a project? You go beyond what is expected of you. You do everything to finish on time and nobody appreciates or even recognizes the effort you put into it. Meanwhile, your coworker is putting in minimal work, does a mediocre job, is late in finishing what they do and yet they receive the praise from their supervisor. Is there anything more frustrating than this? It leaves you discouraged. It leaves you disappointed. And if you've sensed this in your life, you get the words of the preacher. Verse 14, why does he start? There is a vanity. Why does he end? I said, this is vanity. He says, life is frustrating because it doesn't go the way it ought to go. Now, remember, we said this at the beginning of the series. We said the book of Ecclesiastes is different than the book of Proverbs. Both are books of wisdom, but Proverbs gives you a description of the world as it should be. The world as God meant it to be. But Ecclesiastes gives you a description of the world as it is. A description of the world in its fallen brokenness. A world infected by sin, a world affected by sin. And in this world, the world of Ecclesiastes, the world that we live in, things are so bent and broken and out of shape that they never go the way that we expect them to go. The righteous don't receive the reward they should. The wicked don't receive the punishment that they should. Many times the fate is reversed. And this means what we know ought to be often isn't. And what we think is predictable is so not. And the fact that life is full of these kinds of mysteries, it's, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to come to terms with. Things happen all the time around us that don't make sense to us. Things are flipped on its head. Why is that healthy 42-year-old uh, man who, who exercises every day, watches what they eat? Why, did, why does he pass away of a heart attack when that unhealthy person who eats fast food for almost every meal and drinks nothing but soda lives until they're 90? Why do the diligent, those who are humble, those who refuse to trample over others in work, those who work with such integrity and honor, why did they get passed over for jobs and for promotions while that one person, the the arrogant, who is engaging in all these ethical practices, they become our managers and they become our directors? Why do those who faithfully serve, love and obey God with all of their heart and trust in him in all of their ways, why do they undergo so much suffering in life? While the ungodly and the unrighteous and the unrepentant pagans live life so comfortably and conveniently, and nothing bad ever seems to happen. Is there an answer to these mysteries under the sun? And when you constantly demand a why to explain these things, if you insist on knowing the reason and understanding the purpose, and then you don't get one or at least you get one and you don't like it and agree with it, then your frustration and your confusion about the mysteries under the sun are inevitably going to turn to doubt and despair. And if you're in doubt and despair long enough, that's going to turn and lead to anger and bitterness. And when you're in anger and bitterness long enough, you know, the only conclusion you have is this. God must not exist. I hate God. I'll deny God. I'll reject God. Because when life isn't going the way that you think it should and everything is turned upside down, that confusion leads to anger. But is that really the only option we have? And the preacher says something very surprising because the preacher is thinking about, meditating on, on reflecting on the same questions in verse 14. But his conclusion is verse 15. And I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. The preacher says, this will go with him in his toil. And that word toil should make you remember. It refers back to the curse in Genesis and how, With sin now in the world, we are subjected to a world of toiling, to a world of trouble, to a world of of trials. And so if the question is, in a world marked and scorched by sin, how will you get through it? The preacher's answer is this. Don't worry about the mysteries you can't understand. Enjoy the things God has given to you. The preacher's saying, you have one of two options. You can either complain about everything that has gone wrong and everything that could have gone better. And there's always going to be a lot of things that could have gone better, or you can choose to celebrate the things that have gone right and could have gone worse. You, you can count, uh, you can choose to count every curse that's befallen you, or you can choose to count the blessings you're surrounded by, but to obsess over all the mysteries, all the things that why are, why is this happening? He says it's a vain and meaningless task because what God is up to in the world is beyond your wisdom. Your job is not to understand. Your job is to trust. Your job is not to focus on the why, but to focus on the who. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. The preacher goes on, when I applied my heart to know wisdom, And to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. The preacher comes face to face with the limits of his own wisdom. And he humbly acknowledges that he doesn't understand the work that God is up to. Man cannot find it out. And the preacher is expressing and he's confirming the truth of what God said in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, when the Lord said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you believe God's ways are higher than yours, if you believe that God's thoughts are higher than yours, then you must also believe that God then can have meaning in the mysteries that you simply don't perceive and you simply don't understand. So who is a wise person? A wise person is not one who looks at what's happening in their life and can make sense of everything. A wise person is somebody who looks at the mysteries under the sun and humbly acknowledges, I don't have to understand everything that's happening around me because my God understands. And a foolish, arrogant person will declare, no, 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 no. If I don't get it, if it doesn't make sense to me, then it's not a valid reason. There's no way it's right. If I don't like it, then I don't accept it. But thank God that you and I are not the arbiters of truth and reality. Our ability to grasp what is true does not determine whether it's true or not. You know, I've shared with you uh, many times uh, that my greatest struggle in uh, all of my education was not uh, Greek and, and Hebrew, and it wasn't ancient history, and it wasn't any of that. It was, it was physics. And I've shared with you the only reason uh, that, I, that I was able to pass that class because of the the, the grace of the grading curve never has a subject made me feel so incompetent and so, and so dense never, you know, have, has my head ever felt like, like such a rock, and nothing is penetrating, but you know what? As much as I struggle to understand physics, I would never insist that the truth of the laws of physics depend on my ability to grasp it. Right? if, the laws of physics were only true to the degree that I can understand them, then the world would not be a safe place. I should enter no building. I should drive no car. I should sit on no chair. I should use no technology. I should move out to Lancaster and live with the Amish. You see, thank God that whether I understand physics or not does not determine whether physics is true or not. In the same way, God's intentions, God's purposes, God's meaning that he's working out from the mysteries of life under the sun are not based on your ability to understand what he's up to. As long as it makes sense to God, it doesn't need to make sense to you. The question is, can you accept that? Can you believe that? Can you rely on that? And here's where things get tough. Because that is, as true as it is, it's so hard to swallow. It's so hard to really believe. It's so hard uh, to transfer it from here into here. But why is it so hard? Like, why is it so hard? Why are we so unable or unwilling to, to really trust that God's ways are higher than ours and he has reasons and meaning that we don't yet understand? And it's going to be one of a few things. It's either going to be like our suspicion of his goodness We don't really believe God is up to to good. Uh, Or it's going to be a delusion that we know better than God. Well, God, let me get behind the driver's seat and tell you how to get where you want to go. Or it's our stubborn insistence that God answer to us, that God is accountable to us, that any plan God is drafting for our lives should first come under my review and get my stamp of approval before he plays it out in my life. And it's these insistences, it's it's our suspicions, it's our delusion that makes us keep putting the why in front of the who. We're demanding why in front of the who. We're not satisfied in the who, the God who understands. We're only satisfied if we have a grasp of the why. So what can start to undo that in our lives? What can start to, to loosen that grip and get us to trust the who above the why? And the power at work that can do that is only the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me explain, right? We're in the Advent season, the season of Christmas. And in this season, when we remember Christ's birth, it confronts us with the reality of how mysterious the gospel truly is. On the one hand, it's not mysterious. When we ask you in membership to define the gospel, we don't expect you to say, well, it's mysterious, We expect an answer. On the other hand, it's full of mysteries because what is Christmas telling us? Christmas is telling us the mystery of the gospel that God who resides in heaven among the angels has come down to earth to reside among sinners. The mystery of the gospel in Christmas is telling us that God who is eternal spirit has taken on human flesh and has become a man. The mystery of the gospel in the Christmas season is telling us God, who sat on his kingly heavenly throne, was born as a baby in an animal feeding trough. Is that not a mystery? Why would God do that? How could God do that? Push it further. Well, God did that because he loves us and and wanted to save us. Well, why? Would God love you so much that he sent his one and only son to die in your place, especially when you wanted nothing to do with him, but you only hated and rebelled and rejected him? Why would God take you, who is an orphan and an enemy, bring you into his family, adopt you as his child, and give you a seat at the kingdom table and call you princes and princesses? Why would Jesus, the only innocent one, be crucified as a common criminal in your place? Why would the only sinless person to ever walk the earth die for the sins of the world? Why would the author of life choose to take on death so that you who deserve death could live forever? See, you think about the gospel long enough, and it is full of mystery. The gospel is the greatest mystery in the universe. And frankly, that's why it's so offensive to people. That's why it's so unbelievable. That's why it's so hard to people say, yes, that gospel, I want to believe in it. And yet in the gospel mystery, God was working out a glorious meaning. God was working out your eternal salvation, your greatest good. You see, God has proved in the gospel that what's a mystery to you is not a mystery to him. God has proven in the gospel that he can work out meaning from that which is most mysterious. And if you actually grasp that, if that sinks deeply into your heart and, and it begins to, to penetrate into the crevices of your heart, then it begins to loosen your grip on the whys and it begins to make your hands firm to hold on to the who. The gospel is the great mystery that I don't understand. And yet God was able to work out meaning from it. How then in the mysteries of life now and all the things I'm going through and all the things that people I know are going through and all the things that are happening around the world. And I'm sitting here demanding and insisting, why, why, why? God, give me a reason. Give me an explanation. Tell me your purpose. Begin to lay that aside. Say, I don't need to understand. Because you've worked out meaning from mystery before and I trust and believe you will work out meaning from mystery now. Friends, life will continue to be full of mysteries under the sun. So full of mystery. It's a vain task to seek out the wise. But for every mystery that you don't understand, you have a God who is working out meaning from those mysteries. And when you find yourself in life doubting, and struggling with the wise. Take as many looks at the gospel as you need to, to remember that this is a mystery to me, but there is meaning in it from my God. Let's pray.